You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, we have the opportunity to hear from our Wolka School Administrator, Reverend Fred Driscoll, in a message titled, Shame, Redemption, and Christ. Let's check it out. Well, good morning, Word of Life. I am excited to be here with you this morning. Pastor Tom, a number of weeks ago, invited me to come speak while they were uh, vacationing. And, uh, you know, it's great for them to be able to get away and spend just some time as a family and just, you know, regenerating and uh, resting and all of that. You know, I'll be honest with you. At first, I'm like, I've got a lot going on. I'm still living in Auburn uh, and driving in here every day. And Pastor Tom's like, I know you're going to say no. And so I did. I said no. Uh, and then I got home, and I was working, I'm still working on my master's, and kind of praying and working through stuff, and I set my laptop to the side and just started writing notes. And so I called them back. I said, well, I have a problem. Uh, God just downloaded this, uh, this, this word, and he's like, yeah, I figured that would happen. So I am, I am here this morning uh, as a testament uh, to Pastor Tom's trust, and I appreciate that, uh, and to God's goodness. Uh, and that has played out with this week. Uh, we've had plenty of adventures here this week, uh, plenty of adventures at home this week. And this morning, uh, on my way here, driving up 31, I was, I was praying, I was getting in the right space and listening to some worship. Uh, and if you're like me, uh, you like getting places fast. <clears throat> and uh, I, was, I, I passed the stoplight where the, where the uh, post office is. I'm coming in on 31, and I'm like, man, this car is not moving. And, you know, I prepared to do what I was going to do, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, just, 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 shh. And three deers jumped out, and that car hit the deer. Whew. I stopped. He was good. He's like, I'm fine. Just go. He's like, we've got it covered. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when, when things seem right, uh, God has a way of, of, of slowing you down. <laughs> Praise God for that. But I'm excited for this morning. Uh, a lot of you guys don't know me very well, and that's okay. Um, you know, I was born and raised actually in this part of New York when Pastor Tom introduced us a few weeks ago. Um, he, he said that I was, I was raised here, and that's true. Uh, lots of great memories, um, but we've moved around a lot. Uh, we moved here uh, to the Auburn, Syracuse area about four and a half years ago. Uh, came by way of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, And if that sounds weird, it is. It's cold. It's like Canada. Uh, But my wife is from the South, and she's not here this morning, but my wife is born and bred and raised in Texas and Virginia. And she told me, you know, just be ready because we're never moving to New York. But God had a plan. So what we did is we, we moved from Richmond, Virginia, after 10 years of ministry, to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a small town called Escanaba, uh, think 20 degrees negative for three weeks at a time. And my wife's like, this is cold. And so what we did is I said, let's move south. So we moved here. <laughs> that, that's a little bit about me, but the reality is, you know, I've, you know I, I was raised here till I was about 17, moved away, spent most of my life away now, and I still haven't really felt like I fed in. And I went to Annie. I said, Annie, I need to fit in here at Word of Life. So I need to fit in with the staff. And I said, I have an idea. And she's like, don't worry, Pastor Fred, I've got you. It's not that I want my identity to be in the staff here. I'm going to button this back up because I'm going to feel weird with Mike's, Pastor Mike's face on my shirt as I'm... See, identity seems to be a big topic for us. You know, we, we, we're pressured on all sides and you know, we, we try to define who we are. We try to fit into, you know, whatever genre we're in. 
And a lot of times our identity defines who we are for us. But if we're honest with ourselves, our identity should be rooted in who Christ says we are. See, we have this truth of scripture. Christ calls us to himself. And he reminds us that our identity comes from who he says we are. Not some awesome t-shirt we put in our, underneath our Sunday clothes. I don't know. Somehow we still struggle. Oftentimes we feel that we don't measure up. That we could never be, I don't know, good enough to identify ourselves with a God that is so holy and so awesome. When we were on staff at the church in, just outside Richmond, Virginia, there was a number of people that would kind of come and go. And one couple that was there for the majority of the time we were there, they had kids uh, that were, we'll call them black sheep. You guys, you know, everybody has, you know, those people in the family that, that kind of, they, they, they kind of skirt the edges of the law or they, they intentionally find ways just to make a mess, sometimes unintentionally. And uh, one of their kids, uh, kept finding himself on the, right, the wrong side of the law and just, he was a mess and we'd been praying for him for so long. We had an event at the church and she finally convinced him to come and maybe you can relate with this more than I because I was raised in the church and this, this concept is kind of weird to me but I was standing in the lobby greeting people as they were coming in and uh, Mike opens the door and he walks in and I'm not kidding, he gets right into the middle of the threshold and he goes like this and he looks up at the ceiling I thought he was joking at first, and then I saw his face, and I realized he wasn't. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah. He's like, honestly, I truly thought that the ceiling was going to cave in on me at that moment. Or that God was maybe going to strike me. He's like, I'm, I think I believe in God. I'm not sure, but I know I haven't been making him happy. We get caught up in our identity and in our failures, and we feel like that God is just there waiting to get even with us. And my goal today is to, to show you that he's not. You know, I recently read a book, and actually I was working through this book when Pastor Tom called me. It's called, Does God Really Like Me? It's by Sid and Jeff Holskaw. It's discovering the God who wants to be with us. If you're looking for a really good read, grab this book. One thing I've learned here is Pastor Tom's love language is books. Uh, this is not a book he gave me. I have a lot of books that he's given me already. And I promise you, Pastor Tom, I will get to them. But the book does an incredible job addressing much of the inadequacies, much of the shame that we feel towards being in the presence of God. I don't know if, if you've ever had that moment when you're in an in a environment like this and everybody's lifting their hands, everybody's worshiping, and you just don't feel worthy. Maybe you feel guilty for being here. See, when we get down to the root of our identity, to the problems we have with our identity, we find there our guilt, we find our shame, and we find our sin. Because we're looking at the identity we've placed on ourselves, not the identity that God has given us. Uh, one of my pastors uh, from my college days, by, his name is John Lindell, he wrote a book uh, a couple years ago called Soul Set Free. And he writes this about the guilt that we have, the guilt of the shame that we carry. He says, we struggle to believe God could ever really love us in our deepest, darkest moment when we said or did the thing of which we are most ashamed. We struggle to believe God could love us in the midst of addiction 
We struggle with the idea that grace can truly cover our past, sustain us in our present, and even extend into our future. We can't fathom that grace is a bottomless, limitless resource that will never run out. Deep down, it's hard to believe that God is really that good. It's hard to believe he could ever, he could really love us that much. I'm sure all of us can relate to this on on some level. It's that mantle of shame that we take on. When we mess up, when we sin, maybe we've been in church all our lives, but we have that one thing that keeps nagging that kind of drives a wedge for us in our mind between us and the presence of God. We try to think, how could God ever forgive me? How could he actually really love me? But the reality is his love for us and his forgiveness is unlimitless. See, our guilt, our shame, and our sin, God's grace covers it all. Every bit, everything. Reality being is that he does love us that much. He is that good. So this morning, I want to prove to you that not only does God love you, he doesn't want you to live in shame. God does not want you to live in shame. We're going to be looking at this in just a moment in John chapter 4. Not only does he not want you to live in shame, God is actively seeking you out. Even if you haven't accepted his work yet. He pursues you. He comes after you. He follows for you. Because he wants you in his presence. We're going to prove this this morning in John chapter 4. I'm going to bounce around a little bit within that passage. I was talking with with, uh, Josh earlier this week as we were getting all my slides and stuff ready. I said, I don't usually do this, and I'm trying this the first time here, so you'll have to bear with me. We're going to talk about Christ and his encounter with a woman at a well can almost count, call it like a water cooler experience. I don't know. But Christ had been ministering, and you know he was fully God and still fully man, and he would get tired. So he was ministering with his disciples. He said, hey, we're going to travel. We're going to go through this region. The disciples, for some reason, weren't with Christ, and we're not going to talk about that this morning, though I'd love to do it. So he sits down by this well in the middle of Samaria, John 4, verse 7 says this. says, soon, this was after he sat down to rest, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, obviously, he wasn't traveling with any type of jugs, and he didn't have a cup, and he had nothing to draw water with. If you dig into John chapter 4, which I know you will later, it's homework. Uh, I'm a school administrator, so I like to assign homework. But if you grew up in church, if you had uh, that opportunity like I did, you, you probably know the story. Jesus asked this woman at about the noon hour for a drink. He was thirsty. I think that was a legitimate request from him. And they have this discourse, they have this conversation, and he, in that moment, ministers the gospel to her. He talks to her about life. He talks to her about quenching a thirst that she probably at that moment didn't realize she had, or maybe she knew it, she just didn't know how to fix it. He ministers to her, he speaks to her heart. He offers her this living water, water that would free her from her sin, 
give her life everlasting. Water that will never leave her thirsty. He's offering her access to the very presence of God. Now, this story is significant for a number of reasons, but primarily today we're going to talk about the significance to her because she wasn't an average woman. So she asked him for this water. She's hooked. She's listening. She's engaging. It's starting to, to, to fill a need, and she's, she's sensing something she's never sensed before, like I know some of you are right now. So she asked him, give me this water so that I may never thirst again. Let me read to you the response from Christ in this moment. This is John 4. This is later on, verses 16 through 18. This is what Christ says to her. He says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Her response is, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, I don't intend to focus on the sin of the woman this morning. Because I don't want people to start feeling like, oh, we're, we're looking at this, this one thing. Reality is we've all sinned. We've all found ourselves in the place and the time of the woman at the well. We've all failed. Her sin shouldn't be your focus when looking at this passage. What your focus should be on is her brokenness. We're all broken. That's what I try to focus on when I'm interacting with that person out and outside the church or even sometimes inside the church and you know, you get that little bit of attitude or you, you have that frustration or you have that conflict or they do the thing that just drives you crazy and you're like, why are you doing that? You have to look at the reality of their brokenness. Here's a little bit of her reality that afternoon. Shame drives us from the presence of God. The shame that we carry, the things that we hold on to how we define ourselves in our disgust with our own being, it, it, it drives us from God's presence because we don't feel like we belong. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like God wants us there. The Samaritan woman lived in her shame. Why do we do this? Why do we let ourselves be driven from the presence of the very one who created us, who loves us, who made a plan for us so that he could be reunited? You know, the, the story kind of sets the tone for this. You know, I've, I've never been to the Middle East. The driest place I've ever been is, is Mexico City. Actually, when I was writing this, I thought, yeah, Mexico City, that's a great story. And then I remembered, I actually went with the youth group here, I think it was 95, 96, to Mexico City. And it was dry. It was everything you, everything you would think it would be. Uh, and the, the funny thing was, at least from my 15, 16-year-old perspective, is everybody kind of disappeared at noon. I don't know where they went. Nobody did a lot of work. So it was hot. It was dry. Um, there was no AC by the way, living in the South for like 15 years, I've fallen in love with air conditioning. And a beautiful Southern Belle, but either way. I would imagine that that environment was kind of similar to what life was like in the time of Christ. 
It was hot. It was dry. He was thirsty. I get it. Nobody really does much at the noon hour. Verse 6 says this. It says, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. And it was about noontime. For some reason, the Samaritan woman chose the hottest time of the day to go to the well. For some reason, she chose the time of the day when nobody else would be around, when everybody was home, resting. The hottest port of the day, she did what every woman would do every day and carried her heavy pot to draw water to carry all the way back home. She chose to go out in public when the least amount of people would see her. It was typical for that time period for the women to gather at the well, for them to talk, for them to spend time together, to relate stories and connect, to check up on each other's families, to have that sister time. I don't, I'm not a woman, so... You see, for her, her shame had become her identity. She very well knew that she had had five husbands. She very well knew that she was living with a man that was not her husband. Her shame dictated her priorities. Her shame dictated her activities. Her life was driven by her shame that she carried. Jesus wants to remove your shame. Jesus doesn't want you to carry your shame. Jesus doesn't want you to wrap yourself in your shame like I've wrapped my shirt around Mike's t-shirt. Pastor Mike, sorry. See, shame is what identifies us with our failures. Shame is the, the constant nag that makes us look back. Shame is what clouds our identity and confuses our guilt and makes life's focus a little muddy. Shame is even what tempts us to stop believing. It tells us that we're not good enough, so why even try? Shame tells us that God would never truly accept us, so why even seek? It lies to us when it tells us that we can never get it right. The whole squaws in writing their book, there's another, there's a lot of great stuff in this book. But they say this, they said, Adam and Eve were tempted to stop believing they belonged with God. Forgetting to believe this, losing faith, opened the door to sin and shame. See, the enemy doesn't want us to be in God's presence. He doesn't want us to, to think or even believe that we could walk a life forgiven and redeemed without the guilt, without the shame, without the burden. Because he knows once we actually truly put ourselves in the presence of God, that our identity will start changing into what God has called us to do. And at that point, God's going to unlock within us and, and release us to do what he's called us to do, and that's spread that message. We 
We can't let shame dictate our guilt. Pastor Tom said there's a rule. If one person claps, everybody has to clap. So go ahead. We can't let shame dictate our desire to be in the presence of God. We can't let shame dictate our value. God calls us. God says we're worthy. Not because we've done anything, but because he's done it all for us. Christ didn't come to just deliver us from our sin. He came to change our identity. He came to remove the mantle of shame from us, from our identity, from how we define ourselves. When you invite Christ into your life, he changes everything about you. He removes not only the penalty of sin from our lives, he removes the cloak of shame and he gives us his identity. We come to find that our identity becomes radically invested in our future when we look away from our past and when we start looking towards Christ. Because Christ has removed us from our past. In fact, Scripture tells us that he he forgets our sins. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just make us clean. He's a God. He's a Father that loves us so much, he puts it out of his mind. He doesn't hold things against us. Last night when I was praying and working and, and, and kind of getting my heart and my head right, I, I came by Psalm 103, and so it's not going to be on the screen, but I, I slid it into my notes. Psalm 103 is a great, great passage of Scripture. I'm going to read just a little bit of it to you. It says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Amen. Filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor will he remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And here's the amazing part. Verse 12, Psalm 103. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I do not have a good throwing arm. A couple of my kids do. (laughs) But he's taken our sins and he's set them as far as the east is from the west, farther than we could ever imagine. You may be believing the lie right now that it would never work out for you. That God would never bridge this gap for you. That your, your shame is too great. Your, your list of things you've done wrong is, is far too extensive. But the reality is that is just a lie. It's not accurate. It's a wedge that is intended to drive you from the presence of God. It doesn't drive the presence of God away from you. It drives you away from the presence of God. You may say, I've done too much. I've done too bad. People know who I really am. Those are all lies rooted in your identity, not Christ's identity for you. There's an amazing truth in the story of the woman at the well. 
Something that proves just how much God wants us in his presence. Just how far he would go to bring us back into this relationship with him. Just how much he wants to remove the shame from your life. Let me turn you back to John 4, verse 3 and 4. It says this, this being talking about Christ. He says, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Back in that time, Jews, people of Israel, did not travel anywhere close through, into, around, or by Samaria. Most often they chose the long road around that region. They despised the Samaritans. They didn't like them. The Samaritans were, were a half-Jewish, half-Gentile people that had taken the, the laws of Moses and, in, and inserted into them pagan ideologies. The Jews had nothing to do, wanted nothing to do with Samaria. But Jesus seeks for you, just like he did the woman at the well. Christ was so counterculture, he went against the social norms. Jesus walked right into Samaria. Jesus was there to have an encounter with a Samaritan woman who had had five husbands. He was there to minister the living water of God to a woman who was walking in shame. He crossed social boundaries. He lived beyond Sunday. He walked right into her life in the middle of her shame because Jesus was not calling her adulterer. He was not calling her sinner. He was calling her daughter. He was calling her redeemed. He was calling her the one that used to walk in shame. Jesus seeks for you. Jesus wants you in his presence. He's willing to walk into the middle of Samaria and sit by a well in the middle of the day because he knew a woman that needed a savior. He knew a woman that needed to be redeemed. If you look into the story, the amazing thing is she goes running into town and says, look, I've met a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And he's offered me water, living water. It's an incredible testimony because he wants us in his presence. He wants us walking free. He's wanting to take the mantle of shame that you have and replace it with his identity. He doesn't want you walking under guilt. He doesn't want you walking under condemnation. He wants you free. That's how he created you. That's how he intended for us to be when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. God has pursued you because he wants you in his presence. He's restored your identity because he wants you in his presence. There is nothing you can do that is so bad, God would stop pursuing you to bring you into his presence. It's amazing. I like how the host calls kind of wrap up this concept. They write this, they said, how would your life change if you truly believed you belonged in God's presence? How might it change the way you approach God? What would feel different if you believe God made you to be with him and that you are welcome in his presence all the time? Not because of anything you've done, not because you say the right words or act the right way, but because you are made in his image and you belong in his presence. You may be asking, how do I do this? I'm tired of running. 
How do I get found? How do I get to be in his presence? I don't know if you're sitting in this room or watching online. I know someone is asking that question. Well, I've got three easy steps. One, give up. Stop running. Stop running from the God who is pursuing you. That's the first step right there. And once you're forgiven, this one's hard for some of us, forgive yourself. That's a key to removing that mantle. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. See, God calls you redeemed. You don't need to carry your guilt. You don't need to carry your shame. And once you've done that, even before you've done that, number three can be applied in any order right here. Enter into his presence. I encourage you to do that in person in here. Every Sunday morning. I love worshiping here. I love stepping into the presence of God here. But here's the amazing thing about the presence of God. I'm just so excited when pastors Tom and Megan talked about our theme this year. The presence of God is something that you can take beyond Sunday. You can take it home. You can have it in the car. You can have it in the office. You can do your errands and be in the presence of God. Seek his presence. I used to tell my church in Auburn, turn on Spotify. It is not that expensive. Put some worship music in your list. When life's frustrating, when things are difficult, when you're wanting to speed on the way to church and you don't have to, step into the presence of God. It's amazing what you'll find there. Now for some, this is an entirely new concept. Maybe you've never really come to terms with the God that created you or the work that he provided you with his son. If you want this relationship with God, we're gonna close here in a moment in prayer and I invite you to step in to that relationship. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're gonna, we're gonna take this opportunity right now because I know there's some people here and there's some people watching that have been walking in shame and walking in guilt and you're at the point where you just don't feel like you can carry it anymore. I wanna introduce you to the God that has been pursuing you and is ready to remove that from your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you right now, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand saying, I am ready to be forgiven. I am ready to walk without the guilt and the shame. I'm gonna start by looking here from the left. Thank you, I see that hand in the back. I see that hand in the middle. Thank you. Not wanting to leave anybody out, just one more moment. Move from my right. the incredible opportunity. Thank you, sister. I see your hand. Amen. If you would pray with me, 
whether you're here or watching online. Let's repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for those who are here.